You ever been all in on anything? Given your all to something? And been, been burned for it, been hurt for it? Probably all of us have. Uh, hopefully we've given ourselves, given all of ourselves to a marriage, to our spouse, consistently, occasionally, every decade. Hopefully, at some point, we've given ourselves to work or to a vocation, our all to that, at least periodically at least. But it's hard to do that again and again and again if the only thing you find at the end of that commitment is just just, uh, continual disappointment. And so when that's the outcome, it's hard to commit and it's hard to, to find ourselves all in on anything. And in the temporary nature of the disposable culture we live in, it's becoming harder and harder and harder to commit. Uh, The divorce rate outside the kingdom is 53%. The divorce rate inside the kingdom is 52%. What does that say? It says we're learning to decommit ourselves from most things that are are of value, that are important to us, that matter, that should at least matter to us. Bankruptcy filings between the year 2010 and 2016 were up 40%. The average job tenure of my dad's generation was 32 years. The job tenure of my generation was 11 years. The job tenure of the generation behind me is 4.7 years. See where that's trending? It's trending away from commitment. Now, there's nothing evil about changing jobs. Please don't hear that at all. Uh, If you have a new job offer, it's better for you. Go get it. But as a culture, we're trending away from commitment and away from devotion and away from something that matters and that is substantive that we've built some roots into and have seen an increasing measure that we are living in and, and sometimes absorbing a disposable culture. If it doesn't work, just chuck it. Get another one. It's disposable. And so we have a fear many times of commitment because that's true and we live in that place, live in that culture. So let's look at the, see what the Scripture says about this today and hopefully, if, if, hopefully we leave with less of a fear of that than we came with because... Here's the truth. If I commit myself to something, it's going to disappoint eventually. If I don't commit myself to something, I won't get disappointed too eventually. So whether I'm committed or whether I'm not committed, there's disappointment in life. That's just part of life. We live in a broken world full of broken people and broken things and broken ideas. And so because of that, we're going to find ourselves continually, because we live in a, in a temporary place that we weren't designed for, we're going to find ourselves frustrated sometimes I'm disappointed. But let's see what the scripture says about commitment. First Corinthians chapter four is where we're beginning. We'll turn there. We're going to look at verses one and two together. Commitment, first of all, is looks very ordinary. Look at this passage with me. First Corinthians four, one and two. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. What's this trust? Well, this trust relates to the mysteries God has revealed, he says in, this, in the preceding phrase. These mysteries is that we are spirit-led people, or spirit, spirit people led by the Spirit of God, that we are, once we have been transformed and been changed from the inside out of salvation, we find ourselves spiritual beings led, led by spirit, uh, the Spirit of God. And so, as such, we spiritually don't fit in a culture that physically defines itself as something that feeds me, 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 me. It's all about me. And so he says these mysteries of following the Spirit of God are something that's to to be revealed as your faith increases and as your faith grows. So as we find ourselves proving ourselves faithful in verse 2, to what? 
to the mysteries that we are spirit people led by the Spirit of God. And that, that doesn't all time jive with the culture we live in. Uh, chapter 2 speaks to that a little better. We'll never see those, those things, those mysteries of God. We'll never be, see those things until we are found faithful. We need to find ourselves in a faithful place, both to him and others around us, uh, until we find ourselves committed and trustworthy. So as we begin off the, out of the blocks here, is there a history with you? Is there a track record with you? Are there, are there I, I use this term a lot, are there faith markers, places where in life God has shown up here and here and here? Maybe in a hard place, a difficult place, a sad place, a place of grief, a place of hurt, a place of loss. Where God has shown up and has done something significant in your heart and through you, perhaps even to others around you, as a result of your witness in a hard place. Well, those markers are there for us to, to, to draw on, to go back to, to say, "There, God showed up there, and again there, and again here." And so, as we find ourselves in hard places, places where it's difficult to navigate and see the truth and see where, where God is in the midst of all of that, we go back to those markers to say, hmm, "He can be trusted, whether I'm faithful or not." He can be trusted. He remains faithful regardless of my, my level of faithfulness. So if we find ourselves fed by what we're hungry for, and if we're hungry for packaging instead of product, we're going to feed ourselves on packaging instead of product. If we're more hungry for sizzle than substance, we're going to feed ourselves sadly on sizzle instead of substance. He says here, the mysteries of God are the deeper things of him. Those can be found by your being faithful, being found faithful again and again and again. And it's in the ordinary things, the things that the rest of this world seldom sees. And if you're faithful in those ordinary things, uh, prove faithful in those things, we'll see the mysteries of God revealed to us. So commitment looks very ordinary. Secondly, commitment looks like adjusting our priorities. Turn to Luke, if you will, chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 10 to 12 here in Luke 16 to see what he says here about adjusting our priorities. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been proven trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Talking about this level of trustworthiness and our adjusting ourselves to it. Am I more committed to what I own than who owns me? Is this a question I want to ask us today? Are the things that drive my life, are they tangible? Will they burn up? Or are they intangible? Will they never burn up? What owns me? Is it who... Where do my loyalties lie? Is it what, I, what, what owns me or, what, or who I'm owned by? Is the bulk of my time, my energies, my efforts, my talents invested in things that will burn up or things that will outlive me? Burn up or outlive me? There's a huge difference between believing and following him, believing in him and following him. It's kind of like the difference between having a driver's license and actually, actually driving. You know, until you get behind the wheel, it's all theoretical. But I've got a license. Yeah, but have you ever driven? But I've got a license. Yeah, but have you been, been, been behind the wheel? But I've got the license that says I can. It says I can, but have you done it? So there's a huge difference in believing something to be true and following after those things you believe to be true. Believing something is more about fellowship. Following something is more about relationship. It's, it's a de- deeper fellowship at a deeper level. Believing something also is about having some positions having some places where I, this is where my, I hang my hat. These are the positions I have. Following, though, is more about pursuit and position. It's about taking the positions I have and pursuing those avenues of life that says, I know this to be true. I'm going to follow this whether everybody's with me, whether I, whether I stand alone. Believing makes a vow. Following makes it a lifestyle. 
it makes it something that I get up and, and my mind is daily pursuing this, these truths, that, these mysteries that we just read about, about a moment ago to say, I know, I know this is what God has for me today, and whether it's convenient for me today or not, I'm going to press into those things and pursue those things. I want to find those things to be a lifestyle for me, to where it's, my life is more about relationship, it's more about pursuit, it's more about a lifestyle than it is about believing things, fellowship, and positions, and making a vow. Easy to do. The follow-through is where it gets difficult. When we get behind the wheel, license in our pockets meaningless. It's what do we know? What, where, can we make the turns? Can we do we? Are we stopping at a safe? Are we driving at a safe distance? Stopping at a safe distance? Those and I seldom do, as my wife will point out. Follow too closely sometimes. It's because I'm looking three cars ahead to the car that's in front of me. But sometimes commitment looks very ordinary, and but, it, but commitment will always force us to adjust our positions, adjust our priorities, adjust the things that we value, the things that we've seen to, seen to this point to be important, and that this world at least has defined as important. Believing, following. Drastically different things. Third thing, though, I want us to see is that commitment looks like a crucial choice at a crucial moment. Turn to Mark with me. If you go to chapter 14. I want to see here this, this idea of, of, of making choices in moments that matter. A crucial choice at a crucial moment. This is a crucial moment in Peter's life. And so let's look at this story <clears throat> in verses 32 to 42. Follow along with me there. <clears throat> they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to, deep, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed by sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned and to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what, he, he did not, they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resisting and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. This looks like, commitment does, in this case, self-denial. It looks like a crucial choice at a crucial moment. Here's where, where Peter found himself. And so, in fact, this is one of the most pivotal moments in his life. He's about to be faced with the denial of Jesus here within hours. And he can't even stay awake to, to find some, some, some reference and solace in what's about to happen because what, what Jesus goes and prays here is fuel for Peter. It's strength for Peter. If he, if he, if he, that's why Jesus told him to watch and pray. Listen, pay attention to what's going on. When, he, when he's referring to this idea of watching and praying, he's saying, be aware. Be aware of what's going on as you watch. And prayer is a posture of submission. Be aware and submit. Watch, pray, be aware, submit. Why? You're about to face something that's going to be hard. You're about to face something that's going to test you like nothing has ever tested you. You're going to stand around the fire warming your hands. People will call you out as mine, and you're, you're faced with a crucial choice at a crucial moment. This moment, this watch and pray moment, prepares you for that moment, that moment of denial. Yet Peter couldn't see it. Jesus could, and we saw ahead of him that his, Peter was asleep at the wheel. And, and he makes this, he points out the carnality of this moment, the humanity of this moment, by, by calling Peter Simon. Called him Simon. Anybody ever knew 
You were in trouble when, you, when your mom used your real name, your whole name. Timothy, Timothy, you knew you had it. You knew it was Randall. You knew it was coming. You knew, you knew it was around the corner. That's what happens here with Simon, with Peter. Simon uses his old carnal name, his old fisherman name, Simon. Come on. I guarantee you that got Peter's attention because he didn't, he didn't feel in that moment very much like Rock, the one on whom the church is going to be built. He felt like Simon the fisherman, Simon the failure, Simon the, the denier. <clears throat> that moment he didn't feel very, <clears throat> very worthy or very prepared or very equipped for this moment, and that's why Jesus points out if you're going to make human decisions, carnal decisions, fleshly decisions are going to have human, carnal, fleshly outcomes. You make a spiritual decision, it has a spiritual outcome. So he, he humanizes Peter in that moment to reveal to him, you're, you're never wise, depending on the flesh. It's always going to lead you in the wrong direction. It's always, always going to lead you astray, depending on the spirit in what you're doing. Watch and pray. Be aware. Be submissive. It's hard in the middle of the night when you're sleepy. It's even harder when life isn't working very well. It's even harder when the circumstances are falling, crumbling around you and you're seeing loss, whether it's job, whether it's health, whether it's friends, whether it's death, whether it's Hell, as I say, some kind of cancer or whatever. You find yourself in a hard place. It's hard to be aware. It's hard to be submissive. You, you find yourself focused on your problems and the truth in that moment that you learn from that problem. Vital that we see that. That's why he points out, Simon, Simon, wake up, son. You're about to see something and witness something that's going to change your future. Your future in several hours is going to be tested. Your commitment to me in several hours, he doesn't say all this, but that's, what's, that's what he's thinking. It's going to be tested. I see it farther than you can see. Trust me in this moment. Be aware. Be submissive. Watch. Pray. Make sure you find yourself doing those things because you're going to find yourself in a hard place. When we're empty, it's hard. When we're sleepy, it's hard. When we're, when we're in the flesh, it's hard. The consequences, though, that he speaks to in verse 38 that he spoke to there are worth the effort. Let's look again. He says, and watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit wants it for you. The spirit, pushing, the spirit pokes, prods, pushes you, urges you in that direction. But the flesh is weak. The flesh wants what it wants. The flesh wants sleep. Yet the spirit says, this is about preparation. It's about the next moment, not this moment. It's about tomorrow, not today. And the seasons we go through in life, the hurts we go through in life, the sad places, the, the, the pitfalls, the, the pits themselves are always about something else. They're never about the pit. Don't ever forget that. Where we find ourselves in a hard place circumstantially, uh, vocationally, maritally, we find ourselves in a hard place. It's always about the next thing, not that thing. It's always about what God is up to, not what he's doing in that moment. That moment doesn't look very redemptive. But we found ourselves, Peter would have found this redemptive moment had he been equipped to say, no, I'm his. Yeah, I'm his. I'm st- I stand with him. I'm, I'm one of his disciples. Proud of it. He said, no, I don't know who you're talking about. This moment was preparing him for that moment. He couldn't see it. The pit always prepares us for the pinnacle. We can never see it in the moment. We have to trust and watch and pray and see God at work in those kinds of things. It's like, it looks like a crucial choice, commitment does, at a crucial moment. And this is Peter's crucial choice at a crucial moment, and he blew it like many of us often do. But commitment looks ordinary. <clears throat> looks like adjusting priorities. Looks like a crucial choice at a crucial moment. But finally, commitment looks like self-denial. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, let's look at verses 24 25 together of Matthew 16. He says here, Jesus said to his disciples, those who want to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross 
and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for me will find it. Those who want to save their life will lose it, willingly lose it. Those who want to lose their life for me will find it. What's he saying? If I can be, give you blunt vernacular of what this verse is saying, I think it's get over yourself. Get over yourself. Life is not about you. Never has been about you. It is about him and it is about them. That's what these verses are saying. It's about our focus on who, what he's saying, what he's doing, what he's trying to speak into us and speak through us to others. It's about him and it's about them. And we, we, have, we are buying into the truth of the culture that says life is about you. It's about what you want, what you need, what is... What, what, what scratches your itch and meets your needs. Um, but the Christ follower, can I be also honest with you? For the Christ follower, here on this earth, there's very, very little in it for you. I mean, it's going to be honest with you. On this earth, for the Christ follower, there's very little in it for you. If you're willing to live a selfless, cross-bearing, denial, self-denial life, there's very little in it for you. In the next world, though, is where, the, is where, where, where it's really what's in it, is what matters. And so as we find ourselves like Peter was, who couldn't see the, couldn't see the forest from the trees, couldn't see the next one, that this moment was about the next moment. God's saying this world is about the next one. He's saying where you, where, you, where you find yourself devoted here is what will matter there. And as I said earlier, we, we tend to feed on things that we, 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 we are hungry for. And so if we're hungry for his approval in the next place will feed on him in this place and not ourselves, not be focused on so much of ourselves. Uh, it, it is, our life is somewhat measurable here for good, somewhat measurable for good, but it is ultimately measurable for good there rather than here. So we have to be, as I, as I often say, we have to look through an eternal lens and find ourselves focused on the next world instead of this one. Otherwise, we'll be consumed with this world, and this world is, gonna, is about self-consumption rather than about giving ourselves away in self-denial. Uh, in fact, in the, in the selfie world we live in, uh, it's, it's a hard get. It's a hard sell to take, certainly the generation, generation behind us to say, life is not about you. Get over yourself. Teach your kids to get over themselves. It is not about you here. It is about him and it is about them. It is about what he is doing in us and through us to them again and again. <clears throat> so, in the selfie-consumed world we live in, it's moving and trending in the opposite, in the opposite direction of what, this, what these two verses are teaching. So where do we find ourselves with that truth? Finding this, following the selfie generation or moving towards self-denial, moving toward laying ourselves down, picking up the cross, our cross daily, and following him. He says that is what is, what is of extreme value. Are we making a conscious choice to walk toward a selfie generation or to walk away from it, to walk in juxtaposed positions to it? Self-denial is what commitment looks like. Well, as we wrap up, a couple of two or three observations is this. One is this, that commitment begins with a decision. It always begins with a decision. What I mean by that is, it's taking a shovel, <clears throat> figuratively speaking, digging a hole in the ground, pouring concrete in that hole as a footing, as a foundation, say, whatever is built on this is solid. Whatever grows out of this, this footing, this, this, this firm place, this firm foundation, whatever grows beyond this point and, and up from here has a solid foundation and a solid footing. The problem is most of us stop with the decision. We stop with the footing. and We, start, we stop building anything on top of it. We're solid, have a relationship with Jesus. We're saved, trusted Christ in Bible school as a nine-year-old, 
walked down that aisle, prayed, prayed to receive Christ, and then stopped at that decision. The foundation is solid, but little has been built upon it. So the, the decision has to, has to fo- be followed by something, and that's discipline and action. Discipline and action have to follow the decision. Discipline and action follow that. In essence to say, am I barely in? Have I been in? In other words, I've been there. I've seen it. I've, I've, I've trusted Christ, and I've seen, it, I've seen his hand at work in my life and in the church. And in my, I've seen seasons <clears throat> in my life where God has really shown up in a significant way. I've been there. Boy, it's been a while. It's been a while since I've experienced that. Or are you all in? Do you experience that on a continual basis? See the hand of God at work around you on a continual basis, pouring into that, feeding off of that, barely in by the skin of your teeth. I'm going to heaven. I know Jesus. Been in for a while, seen some seasonal moves of God in your life and around you, or all in to say, He's what I'll, He's all I want every day. He's the only one I want to please in the morning when I get up and when I go to bed at night. Uh, discipline and action have to follow that. You say, Well, it's easier when things get better. Yep, it is easier to follow God when things are working. It's hard to stay awake in the middle of the night, yet it was the middle of the night when Jesus went to pray. It was the middle of the night when the lesson was there to be learned and Peter didn't get it. It's always a hard place when we, when we see ourselves in circumstances that we think <clears throat> God is against us, that he's punishing us somehow, that, he's, that he's, we've done something to wrong him, and so he's slapping us around, and it's never about that. It's always about the lesson. Here's, here's one thing, a pivotal place, and I, I think I, Vince and I shared this together several, in several conversations in, in, when he shared with me several weeks ago about his depression. I recall sharing this with him as well, and that's this. To stop praying for deliverance and start praying for direction. See, when, when life isn't working <clears throat> for most of us, yeah, I'll, I'll walk with God. I'll be all in when my life starts to click. So if I can get out of this present circumstance, out of, the, out of the doldrums of this, whatever this is, and I move out of this and into that place, that place of desire, that place of productivity, that place of blessing, then I'll give my life fully to God. And he says, that's not where this works. It's about pick, picking up a cross, and it's about self-denial. It's about seeing, seeing further than just your present circumstances in this world and seeing the next one. And so to do that, I have to stop praying for deliverance and start praying for direction. Say, God, if I am where I am for a while, it's okay, as long as I see what you want me to see where I am. If I miss what you want me to see, I've missed it all. The circumstances are here to teach me a lesson about you and about what you're up to in me so that you can be up to something through me into the lives of other folks. As this conversation that comes out, situation that comes out, as my story is told again and again of my faith in you, when things aren't working, that you're that kind of God. Stop praying for deliverance and start praying for direction. It's a hard prayer. <laughs> but the easy prayer is, get me out. The easy prayer is rescue. And that's a prayer that all of us have prayed numbers of times. And that's the easier prayer. But the harder prayer is, show me, show me what you want me to see. Give me some direct, give me some truth here. If I, this is, this is a totally blown circumstance instance. If I see nothing from you, I want to hear from you. I want to see your hand. I want to glean what I need to glean from this pit, from this hard place, from this place of sacrifice or hurt or pain. I want to see it. If I miss it, I've missed it all. Circumstances taught me nothing. Start praying for the, uh, discovery instead of deliverance. So as we close with this question is this, what does the next step of commitment on the road to commitment look like for you? What's it look like? Does it look like a, a deeper marriage relationship? Does it look like some, 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 some deeper water with friends, with some, with some folks you've held at a distance that you've been a little bit leery about jumping in too deep with? 
some of those friendships or, or folks that are around the periphery that you need to pull closer into your life, or you, or they you. Uh, it looked like more transparency in those relationships, both in marriage and in friendships, that we're, you're, you're, you're more vulnerable. You're opening up a side of yourself to folks that nobody's ever seen before, trusting that it's going to be returned, and even if it's not, God calls us to transparency, calls us to truth, calls us to adjusting our priorities to him. So does it look like some kingdom service in some way? We need help in Kids Point. We need help in We Point downstairs. Does it look like plugging into to, to something that has to do with the kingdom? Does it look like, look like plugging in with Angelic or with, say, families? What does the next step on the road to commitment look like for you? Allow the Spirit to speak that truth to your heart and to your life and then respond to it as, you, as he starts to speak. Okay. I don't know that I don't, I don't know that I'm so, I feel equipped for this, but that's where you're leading. I'm going to step into it. Well, Peter didn't feel equipped. Jesus comes back down from Gethsemane and says, Simon, Fisher guy, come on, be deeper than that. Be stronger than that. So I've sown into you, now let's see some results, what's, what's been sown into you. And it's perhaps time for you to say, okay, what's the next step of commitment look like to me? And so even if I'm disappointed in it, let me step into it, trying to find God's plan and his purpose and his will and his design for me in that place. So as we wrap up this uh, series on fear and the, the fears that we face down, what, what does it look like for you? Afraid of failure? Are you afraid of rejection? Afraid of not, not having enough, of not enough? Afraid of depression? Have the fear of loneliness? Fear of commitment? All of us, have, are, all of us are afraid of something. Maybe more than one something. He speaks his word into, the, into those fears to say, as he reminded us again in, in Isaiah 46, 3 and 4, I've got you. I've got you. Wherever you are, I've got you. Wherever you find yourself, whatever pit or mountaintop you find yourself, I've got you. I've got you. Trust me. And as we find the truth of that verse, fear runs and hides because the enemy knows he can't compete with the word of God. Let's pray.